Is that really true? Don't we have free will? Because when I am online, I feel completely free and in control. Am I not in control? This is our biggest illusion, uh, the illusion of free will. And I think that we... Objection. No, I'm kidding. Continue. (laughs) And we are joined by uh, Liraz Margalit with us today. Hey, Liraz. Hi, Gil. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you. How are you? I'm really well. So, because you're joining me. Um, so for the few people on the planet who still don't know who you are, uh, let me briefly introduce you and then we'll get straight to the conversation. Uh, so Liraz has a PhD in psychology and she specializes in behavioral design and decision making. She's a recipient of several distinguished awards for her research papers and studies on consumer behavior. Her works have, have been published in some of the most prestigious titles. She's a writer, keynote speaker, and a consultant, and recently co-founded a new startup that goes by the name of Topics. And we'll get to Topics a little bit later, but before that, I'm really interested in this thing called psychology design, or you, I think, described yourself as a psychologist of the internet. Can you tell people what that means? Sure. Um, So over the past few years, I've been utilizing models from cognitive psychology, behavioral economics, and neuropsychology, to better understand how customers behave in the digital world. And we know that today, um, different brands and organizations have the tendency to actually analyze whatever they can. And sometimes we like to call it big data, meaning different sources of data. But um, when I come to consult to this company, what I see is mostly they don't know what type of question to ask. So uh, when we're talking about uh, behavioral psychologists or digital psychologists, it's about um, incorporating the right behavioral models and knowing what type of question to ask in order to deeply understand the customer's behavior online. So basically what you're saying is that by understanding what motivates people who are online, you can help companies design products better and actually make them do what these companies want them to do. Exactly. This is actually leading to, I think, what is now becoming a really hot topic because of the Netflix movie about the social networks and what, you know, social what, what, the social dilemma. Is, is that really true? Don't we have free will? Because when I am online, I feel completely free and in control. Am I not in control? This is our biggest illusion, uh, the illusion of free will. And I think that we... Objection. Start... No, I'm kidding. Continue. <laughs> uh, let's start by refuting some basic myths. Because over the past few years, we kept on hearing that the customer wants to be in control, that uh, if you want to, uh, to sell him a product, you need to provide them with the freedom of choice. But the reality is that our brain just aren't equipped to cope with this type of freedom. And uh, we think that we are in control of our decision, but basically um, 
we, we hardly control 80% of our everyday decisions are done with little or no conscious thought. I mean, Gil, you cannot begin to imagine the effect of cognitive biases, of our emotions, of environmental cues to the way we make decisions. And um, in this uh, world of information that we live in, we simply have too much information. And, and from our brand perspective, it simply means too many decisions that we have to make every minute of every day. So now we are moving from this rational approach that, um, that doesn't work. I mean, we are not rational. Rational means that if you need to make a decision, Gil, you need to consider every little option. We just simply don't have the capacity to start considering every little option. So now, um, after psychologists understood this, we are moving to a new approach uh, that we like to call behavioral design. And this approach is actually based, its roots actually, on the Skinner box and the behaviorism. And it basically means that um, if you control the menu, if you control the Skinner box, because digitally we are in a Skinner box, so you can control, easily control your user choices. But let me let me let me give you an example from my from my life, okay? Um, I I went through some changes and I uh, had to consider buying certain things, and I actually found it super useful that I noticed that while I was searching for things, all of a sudden the social networks I spent time in started offering me things beyond the posts that I usually look at that are relevant for the things that I'm looking at. So instead of me going to Google, when I was scrolling my feed and in Instagram, for instance, I would be getting uh, suggestions for furniture, for a car, for whatever, and it, I really liked it. It was, it was passive, right? Instead of me, and so I think that if the social network knows that I have a need, that I, I'm, I'm actually living an event, it figured out my event, and then it started to offer me things in that context. Now, to take that and say they know me is like to see somebody in a highway that's scratching their head that might need a shampoo on the other side of the road uh, while you're in the car and they're in the car and saying, I know this guy because the, you saw them scratch their head. Yes, you know they might need a shampoo, but it doesn't mean that you know them. So I don't, I don't uh, see... Uh, the social networks actually really knowing me. I just, uh, I, I just think that they figured out that I have a need, and now they're trying to like, uh, trying to serve it. It's not that a big deal. <laughs> so let me tell you this, Gil. What you just described is just the tip of the iceberg. And um, okay. let's let's get to the bottom of the iceberg then. <laughs> there is tons of information that those social networks know about you but they don't reveal it because they don't uh, want to actually right now make too much of a buzz um, but i know for a fact i will give you an example um they can know if you in 11 uh, p.m at night if you are looking at images of your ex and they know who is your ex because you can change status on Facebook. And if you look at your ex, you must have been feel sad about it. So they know how to put you in a certain mood. And if you are in a certain mood, 
And they know that if you have a certain personality traits, let's say that you change your picture a lot on Facebook and you, um, and you have um, more than six groups and you use words like wow and amazing, so you are uh, an extrovert or you are I in extroversion. And if that is so, so the right thing for me to offer you in, uh, at 11 a.m. is to join a certain group or to buy a certain product. And, um, and what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that yeah. is that... The, the supermarket, it's like a micro supermarket that instead of me going to the supermarket at 11 p.m., like, a, like a, you know, the way you would look at 11 p.m. going to the supermarket, you just, uh, the supermarket comes to you. Cool. Um, not really, because no. uh, we feel that this is the world, this is the default. The default has so much power, the news that we see, the friends that we hear from, the jobs that we hear about, even the restaurant, not in COVID time, but even the restaurant, we consider our potential romantic partners on, on Tinder, all of them actually filtered through a widespread apps each of which actually um, comes with a menu of options that gives the menu, the designer, enormous power. I mean, you don't know why you, saw, why you see a certain restaurant or why you see only this potential partner or Tinder. And there is an algorithm behind it that actually um, looks at you and knows you. And they have a digital footprint on each user and then actually they use um, this information from different sources. For example, Waze know where you're working and eBay and Amazon know what you like to buy and Facebook knows uh, your personality traits. And if you think about it, there is an avatar on Gil that knows you better than your moms know you. Well, you know, I, uh, I buy a lot from, for instance, uh, AliExpress. And I happen to have a thing, I'll admit it live, about iPhone covers, <laughs> okay? <laughs> For some reason, I keep buying iPhone covers even though I don't need them. And I think if you think about this, uh, you know, what you just mentioned about my mom, uh, AliExpress really know my, my, my fetish about uh, iPhone covers, but they don't know me. And Amazon knows what I buy, and if you look at the... actually. You know, I did some research before we talked, and I went onto Amazon and checked out what I think they think about me. And I logged into my user, and it was just a bunch of electronics. Now, okay, I like electronics, but it's not me, right? It's just suggestions of things that I might buy because Amazon is actually an interesting company because I've been buying from Amazon ever since they existed, more or less, since they were a bookstore. And I think that, you know, so there is a, I, I get a collection of recommendations that vary from books to, at best, some type of cool gadget because that's kind of the variety of things that I bought on Amazon, but it's not who I am. If, if, if you had dated me and the gill you got was the Amazon gill, it's been like, you, you, would, you would finish the date after the first course because it's boring. I talk about gadgets and, and, and some, some books. I, so the, the, the point I'm getting at, it's they're seeing a slice of me which I choose, which is related to the activity that I, you know, like ways that I, so ways know where I work, big deal. So it's it, all these social networks, they, they hold like a, information about slices of my life. Do they really know me? What's the danger? 
Actually, uh, first of all, it depends how much time you spend on social uh, media. And I think that uh, the big danger is that uh, those uh, companies, they integrate all the information in order to create an avatar. So they, in some point, and I think that some of them already do it, uh, they exchange information about you. But um, I, my point, uh, this, is not, um, this is not the only negative implication. The negative implication is that as you go online, you are not responsible for your decisions. Um, I will give you an example from my days at ClickTel. I, I was working um, with uh, a company and, and they were offering uh, tax services. There was a, a time uh, at the year that uh, it was in the States and they uh, had to do their taxes. Uh, the American had to do their taxes and they had two uh, service plans. They had the free and uh, the expensive one and the expensive one, it was, I think, uh, about $20. And of course, most, uh, most visitors choose the free one. So uh, they consulted me and they asked me what to do. They wanted uh, more engagement and more conversion with the expensive service plan, of course. So uh, what I was offering them is to add a middle plan because then we have, uh, we have an effect we call anchoring. Mainly um, what you, when you actually look at, uh, at different choices, uh, your decision uh, is extremely influenced by the framing, but how, by how you frame the different choices. So now when you have this middle option, most people will choose the middle option. But listen to this, I didn't want them to choose the middle option because they wanted people to choose the, the uh, priciest choice. So what I did is I actually told them to make sure that the difference in price will be um, uh, lower and less meaningful than different in services. So actually people went to the middle option and then they uh, told themselves, okay, I add five more bucks and then I have the full services. And this is actually what happened. And we were able to raise conversion. It was by four and a half percent. And um, when people are actually uh, analyze websites and conversion, this is, uh, this is huge. So people didn't need the priciest option. They didn't need it, but they choose it because of the way I frame the different option. And this is uh, a powerful tool, the behavioral design. But, but and you can do it easily online. Is, is it really different than what I, in the, let's call it old world, if you had walked into my store, maybe I had a sale and then a shoe next to the, which is, the, I don't know, the new version. And it's, it's, it's only, I don't know, 15 bucks more than the older one, but it, it's already, you know, it has all the new features or whatever. Is that, it's just a, it's good business conduct, no? I mean, you're trying to sell your stuff, your, your, your business, and you're trying to maximize profits because it's starting to sound like there's a lot of ethical, like aura that somehow you'd like to have part of this but how do you make uh, how do you make ethics part of it in 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 a world where 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 bottom line results and profits and revenue are is what drive things 
Okay, so actually, uh, you asked two different questions. So you asked, okay, so for the price of one, I just need an emperor. Yeah. Okay, Sorry. thank you. For that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so your first question, and um, I really like this question, and it is an extremely important one is what is the difference between the brick and mortar store, the physical store, and the online store? Right. Uh, you said, okay, because we always had marketing and uh, you can actually arrange the products right. in the store in a way that uh, will actually manipulate and design your choices. And that is correct, but there is a big difference here. And the big difference is a buzzword uh, we call personalization, meaning that uh, in the store, you don't change the arrangement of the products for every customer that enters the store, right? But uh, what we are trying to do online, and um, there are many, many companies that work very hard on personalization, is that as you enter a news website or, uh, or Amazon, you will see a different uh, environment uh, then uh, compared to the environment I will look at when I go to the same homepage at Amazon because they know me and they know my, uh, you call it a fetish? Yeah, they know us very well. So it is much easier to manipulate us. So so do you think it's, uh, and now we're moving because I asked the two questions for the price of one, um, right. to the ethics of it. What? How do you actually, how do you manage this? I mean, it, it just, do people just have to be good people, or will, will this ever be in control? How will this? How, how do you think? How do you see this being played out? So, of course, this is an ethical question, but it is a, even more complicated than we think. Meaning that, okay, let's put aside all the negative effects just for one uh, second. Let's consider that we, uh, what we call design for good, meaning that I can uh, convince you, um, or what we like to call adherence today, um, or uh, uh, compliance, I can uh, convince you to, uh, to work out more, and to, to eat more healthy food, and um, maybe to, uh, to get vaccinated. And I can do all this using behavioral design but in other words, using psychological manipulation. Is it a good thing? So now uh, when we're talking about all the positive implication, so now can we say that I can use it and I can manipulate you without your awareness? I'm not sure. I mean, the, the question is, can we use it at all? Uh, we can actually convince uh, people to save more for their pension and to drive more safely and to recycle. But can we have do we have the right to actually use this uh, manipulation on people, even if it is uh, for their best interest? And I'm not sure that we can. Let me, let, let me offer you maybe a, like a perspective of how I try to see it, because I don't think there is like a, an absolute truth. But, you know, if you look back in history, um, most people were completely ignorant, uneducated, and there were a few that really controlled everybody. And that was pure and usually, uh, in many cases, evil manipulation. You could go back to, to, you know, to tyrants, to kings, to, to religion. Uh, what, what are they all doing if not manipulating how you think, how you behave, what you believe? They dictate your day. They dictate what you eat when you cannot eat, fasting, uh, going to war, dying for a cause, you name it. 
This is like, this is how humanity has behaved ever since it's kind of been incepted, right? Um, now we have technology. We have companies who want to do things. I think the balance needs to come from one side. People know that, like, I know that I'm being manipulated, but I kind of, I, I give in to this manipulation because I have, I have my own motivation. I want to get another iPhone cover, uh, all right? <laughs> so, so I'm going so to give you a little bit of, of, of my behavior, but, and, and they can do whatever they want. Is it, is, is, is like, you know, because I saw the, I saw the movie and I, and, I do, and I do understand kind of this race between AI and, 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 um, and, and, and will. And I'm wondering if, unless you choose to be an anti-technologist, uh, or unless there will be some do-good council, and then you question who are the people in the do-good council, and what are their power, and who, how do they decide what's good and not good, and what is, you know, and it's also like, a, is it a global thing? Is it a regional thing? How do you get elected? How do you get diselected? You know, there's so many questions. I think the only way it could work, maybe, is just as much as possible transparency, and and then the companies can do whatever they want, and we know what they're trying to do. And it's like a, it's like a relationship. It's like you know. Um, and then there has to be something about. I would say I think the, the the important topic maybe is privacy. What do you do with the information that you have about me? Can you give it? Can you expose it? Because then it might become sensitive. Is, is there? Do you see it going anywhere? I mean, I know it's a problem, but is there a solution? Is, is there a direction that you see starting to pick up? Okay, so first, uh, you mentioned the history and you mentioned the fact that um, we were uh, always being manipulated. But I think the big difference today is the, the conscience aspect. I mean, uh, then if I told you what, if I tell you what to do, and I just tell you, Gil, do it because this is what I order you to do, you are aware of that. I mean, you don't like it or you do like it, but you are first to do it. But the major difference is that now you go online and you don't know, you know, because you are aware and you read and uh, you saw social dilemma, but even if you did, most time we are um, being on our automatic pilot. And even me, when I am aware, I can go to a website and uh, they are, will be able to manipulate me. And we found, um, we found uh, a, a phenomena we call dark patterns. Dark patterns are all the manipulation. Let's say that uh, it can be minor, like you are going to leave your website or you are going to uh, leave a distribution list. So I will tell you, oh my God, you are not going to, you don't want to uh, get all these great discounts. And this is a way to manipulate you. Or when you are going on booking and uh, we say, okay, there are, other there are five other people that look at the same hotel right now. Mm -hmm. And you think that you are not affected, but you are affected. And if you are affected, the meaning is that you will make a different decision compared to the decision you would make if I wouldn't pull all of those manipulation on you. And it's not only that. I uh, I will reveal it right now, but I was working Hold on, for, hold on. Da -da 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 -da. Go ahead. <laughs> I was working for um, a competing uh, company. Um, uh, it was bo booking competition. 
And they were also used uh, big data and they had a group of data scientists. And we were able to discover if uh, business people, when they, uh, when they want to order a, a room, to book a room in a hotel, if they are going to cheat on their wives from their behavior. And um, you can ask me, okay, so what are you going to do with this information? It doesn't matter. You don't have your privacy anymore. And I think that if you think about Facebook or Google or Twitter, they don't really care about you and they don't care about your privacy. Look at WhatsApp. Um, they actually declared right now, after they, um, they made sure all the people are addicted to WhatsApp, that um, they're going to take your data and to uh, actually uh, let Facebook look at your data. So we cannot talk about privacy anymore. And I think that the only way is uh, to have regulation. And, but I'm not sure we are going on, uh, we will be successful in going in that direction because there are connections between politician and Facebook and they need each other. So I'm sorry that I'm drawing a, <laughs> a pessimistic picture here, but that's the reality. And the only thing that we can do is at least to be aware of it. Can, so I want to clear another urban uh, legend. Uh, are we being listened to as well? Yes. For sure. For try. sure. You can, you can try. Just, um, you can turn off uh, your mobile and then talk about, I'm not sure if right now is the time to talk about vacation in COVID <laughs> time, but uh, try to think about the product. And if you have Facebook, uh, you will see it. Um, the but next they, they, have, they, they have denied listening. I know. I know. But they do. I know, but they do. But aren't, aren't the more powerful platforms the actual device manufacturers themselves, like Apple and Samsung, and because they own the, the, the speaker? I mean, Facebook needs a permission to access the API, but Samsung is the thing itself. Right. So they deny it, but actually they pass the information on. Of course, it's Apple and Samsung. They deny um, passing the information, but um, actually it was uh, a controlled uh, a, a control experiment. Uh, I was not part of the experiment, but I can tell you that one of the biggest universities, and we have results, uh, they, they were able to actually um, uh, take a control group and um, versus a group that uh, talk about different products um, when their phone was actually turned off and they proved um, the fact that we are being listened to. Interesting. Okay, we're not going to go down that rabbit hole because we have no other side to deny it. So, But let, let, right. let's move to, on to a topic that I think is also something that you uh, kind of uh, uh, research and look into, which is this whole kind of psychology uh, around... Um, FOMO, right? Uh, the fear of missing out. Can, can you talk about, about it and in, in, in the power of it? And then I'm going to offer you a, maybe a counter argument uh, just, just okay. so we can have an interesting so now, conversation. Actually, now we have a new fear. So, of course, the FOMO is the fear of missing out. And um, it's not only on Facebook. Um, let me give you a personal example. I have three kids and um, 
they all have their uh, school uh, WhatsApp group. This is extremely annoying. <laughs> and uh, I mean, those mothers in the WhatsApp group, they can grab and talk for hours. And I hate this. And I, I, I even, I can't bring myself to be part of this discussion because it's so boring. And um, sometimes I, write, I sit down to write an article and then I uh, have those all those notifications from WhatsApp. And if I was rational, I would uh, turn it off. But I can't because of the fear of missing something important that uh, relates to my kids. So um, we cannot deny the fear of missing out. And actually today, uh, when we're talking about uh, different startups, different technologies, the main um, the main trigger in technology is not its functional purpose. It is emotional purpose. And I can tell you that uh, we conducted a research on Waze users. And uh, we were able to found that um, it was at least 60% of users, whenever they enter their car, they automatically open up Waze. And sometimes it was on Saturday. And sometimes they knew exactly how to navigate to the place uh, they were aiming to go, but they still open up ways because the feeling control. So all, all this feeling, the fear of missing out, the needs to be in control, the fear of loneliness that makes us go on Facebook, all those uh, addictive apps, they uh, trigger our feelings. And if Facebook was supposed to be an app where we connect uh, with our friends. Now it's an app uh, to make sure we are not going to miss out on uh, what's going on in the world. So, so let me, so let me, uh, so let me give you kind of another angle to it. And, and of course, uh, th there is, you know, this is the world we're living, and this is how I get informed. And if I want to know what's happening with my friends, I go on Instagram or Facebook or whatever, you know, WhatsApp to get informed. And that's just the way that is possible today. But let's talk about, for instance, my mother XX years ago uh, <laughs> when I was a teenager going out. And let's say I didn't um, return home at 3 a.m. And all of a sudden she wakes up and you're a mother. So you would know that feeling is like, ah, oh, right. And then she wouldn't be able to communicate with me because when I was a teenager, there was no phones. And I just said, I'm coming back. And then she would have... All these scenarios run in her head of, of me, you know, running off, you know, driving like crazy and I'm probably hot. And does she need to call the hospital and blah, 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 blah. And I'm probably like, I just fell asleep on my friend's sofa. And today, and I wake up at 3 a.m. <laughs> yeah, there are many stories uh, worse, but never mind. Uh, not for this podcast. And then I wake up at 3 a.m. And uh, my son is not home, so I look at his Instagram stories and I see that he's having a good time. And maybe I see his friend putting up a story that he's falling, fall, you know, fell asleep on a sofa. So I'm, so I'm good, and I have no fear of missing out. I'm just being informed. And the same way of my friends going out, I'm, I, I don't classify it as a fear. I classify it as a need to be informed. The only thing that I do admit in this like new world is that the fire hose of information is so big that sometimes there are many events that you would in the past maybe have not even thought about that you want to know what happened. But, but actually in the past you would have imagined 
and you would have been stressed out. I don't think that the internet invented um, uh, like uh, uh, jealousy. It didn't invent uh, uh, being an outcast. All these things existed, but now either I can see it, okay, so I'm, instead of imagining it, I can confirm it. But also, if I think about young children who are very efficient or proficient in, in social networks, they also know a lot of it is fake because they fake it themselves. So if they see this like, ah, we're having fun, cheers, blah, 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 they know that in the background there is nothing, and it's just whatever, it's a makeup party. So I wonder if we're like um, us, and I, you know, I would loosely put us in the same category um, of the same generation, uh, maybe look at these things slightly more like dramatically than we should because young people are like, you know, they're like, hey, it's okay, they went out and it's not, there's no FOMO. It's, it's, it's just now they're experiencing their version of, of envy and fear and everything that I experienced slightly different because there's technology and it's natural. It's not a big deal. I keep hearing, I keep on hearing this claim and I have to tell you that now I totally disagree. Okay, and, now we're getting somewhere. Uh, <laughs> let's start with some findings. Um, uh, we know that uh, there is a strong, meaningful correlation between time spent on Instagram and Facebook and anxiety and depression, especially for teenage girls. And also we know that suicide levels uh, rose in the past few years, and we can see it uh, from the inventing of those social media. But now um, you gave uh, a nice example. You said, okay, so even if, uh, if a teenager look at the picture and he sees some uh, filtered uh, young girl, he knows that it is filtered, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because we have to understand that we have two different systems operating in our mind, system one and system two. System one is the emotional system. And uh, it is based on our emotion. It is quick to make decisions and judgment. And basically, our emotional system is responsible for more than 80% of our decision. Because um, it, we don't like to work harder than we have to. And when we use our rational system, system two, our cognitive system, um, it requires lots of cognitive resources. So we don't like to use it a lot. And when you say we know that, we don't use this knowing. We mostly use our feeling. And the thing about those uh, social media is social comparison, especially for the younger generation. So it is all about the visual and how do I look and how many likes did I get. And sometimes those likes has, um, has the worst effect, meaning that they can change the day. If I didn't get enough likes, it means I'm no good. And they actually um, think and associate those likes with uh, the feeling of love. And when I ask people, okay, you have a birthday. What do you prefer? Do you prefer to congratulate to me, call you, or maybe come to you and uh, congratulate you? Or would you like me uh, to write it online? Do you know what they tell me? It was 80% of the, of the teenage girls. Do you, want, do you know what, they, uh, what their answer were? I'm guessing it's the story. Is the story, yeah. They, they because if I didn't congratulate them to their best day online, it doesn't count. So actually, you equal how many equals how many followers you have, and I think um, 
we can see right now the negative implication and uh, we keep on seeing this on the, in the future. But, but, but Liraz, I want to, you know, I really, you know, I'm trying to be an optimist. I think that, and again, I go back to my own childhood. Yes, there was that outcast that in today's term had zero likes, that was depressed, that was lonely, Uh, and he didn't even have a social network to go and have spent time on. He was basically a super lonely child, maybe became a programmer that then developed uh, Facebook or not. I'm not talking about a specific person or works at Facebook. And then and then, you know, now is actually, you know, in charge of the like button. But um, but no, I'm, I'm just saying that. These things always existed. You always had the popular people, the, the middle class, and, and you know, the, the outcasts. And, and now the only thing that changed it is the ability to actually see things, maybe see things, see desires, see um, stories that you never saw before. But the actual, I, I wonder if there's, I don't think there are more popular people or more less popular people. It's just now through technology, People are more transparent about, let's call it, their situation. But otherwise, I think the children of today are more educated, more globally aware, uh, understand concepts like sustainability and, 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 and friendship and communication. And, and I think of myself as a child. I actually happened to travel a lot when I was growing up. So I was supposed to be a global, like globally aware child, but I was so local because whenever I was somewhere, that's the only place I knew. And today, children um, know people from all over the world because they play uh, games with them, because they, they see them on social networks. So it, it, it's, 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 it balances itself. I mean, of course, there's bad things. Uh, there were bad things before. It's not like a utopia. Oh, it used to be so good. I'm just wondering, what is the one thing that you think will make a difference going forward in order for, for all this not to be so um, pessimistic? So, you know, I, myself, I think about this question a lot and I get this question a lot. And, um, I, I, and I, I have to tell you that I agree. Um, I think that uh, our, the younger generation is well educated on the one hand. On the other hand, um, I sometimes refer to him, uh, it as the copy-paste generation because um, If there is one thing we see is that um, the attention level actually decreases. Um, so they need to get everything right here, right now. And the principle of working hard is hardly ever existed anymore. But after saying that, um, I think that as parents, uh, if we are going to be aware Uh, of uh, of the negative implication and we we will be able to teach our children how to balance um, I mean we have uh, work-life balance so we need to have a digital physical life balance uh, this is one thing and um, I think that if we're talking about skill set of the younger generation I think that um, the most uh, requested or popular skill set is to be able uh, to, to change yourself really fast and to be able to uh, adapt to your environment and to learn new things. And I think, of course, yeah, 
technology actually help us with that. So if we are able to, uh, to take advantage or to uh, leverage technology in order to, um, to teach us how to adapt to the new environment, and uh, on the other end, to make sure we don't spend too much time on all those social uh, network, I think that um, it is a, a bright future for us. You know, I just, uh, before I, I ask you maybe the closing question, I just want to reflect. I went to an American school in Japan uh, in high school. And if I uh, try to think about how we all looked like, I think that was uh, the meaning of copy-paste. We all had the same haircut. We wore the same jeans. We all had uh, the whatever sneakers. And I think copy-pasting has been how people have behaved. But now it's global. So you see something like a dance on TikTok, everybody's doing the dance. It's, but it's, it's human nature. I mean, for me, it was just the high school. And I just did it in front of another 300 people. Or we, we were all in this copy-paste mode. And if you look back at like uh, you know pop videos in the '80s or, or 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 shows from the '80s, you're like, wow, all these haircuts—they all look the same, and they're funny, and they're all copied each other, and they felt good because they looked like each other. But it's the same as TikTok. It's not the... anyway. Let's move no, no, on. You're right, but but I, I I was reflecting on their searching skills, on what I like to call the Google effect. So when I talk about copy paste generation, I mean that they take information, they paste it another way. And they don't really process the information. I want to close with a, with a question of uh, the future. And I call it the exponential question. Um, you know, technology is moving super fast. Um, and behavior and psychology probably isn't because we're limited human beings as, you know, our capabilities are actually limited by the power of our brain and, and how we've been wired over millions of years. Um, and... If you take everything that you said, because technology will advance, quantum computing and AI and machine learning and whatever, um, and let's imagine the social network of 2050. Isn't it like, first of all, I'm not looking at a screen, probably. It's somehow embedded in my head. I mean, how far do you think this thing will go? And are we doomed, as far as you're concerned, or... Is there like an amazing future ahead of us? How do you how do you play how how does this thing play out? So um, <laughs> there is an experiment they like to do with my students, and I, I like to ask them. Okay, let's say that you have a chip in your brain, and this chip can make all the decisions for you, but it will make it better than you because it has all this information. Uh, and he knows you, and he can calculate all uh, those. He has a calculation power, so he can calculate all the, the information in your personality traits and your health condition. Would you use it to make the decision for you? And until today, there is not even one person that says that he's going to use this chip. Because I think um, there is something about, about us human that um, likes to make our own decision, even if we are going to fail. And I think that he, uh, in the COVID time, I think that if there is one thing that makes me feel good, is to see that even though we were, uh, we were um, moving all our interaction to the Zoom, it wasn't the same. And people still need the face-to-face -face interaction. 
and um, all the depression level that we see, sometimes it is because we only need this small interaction, even those annoying interaction in the supermarket, waiting in the line, we need it. As you said, um, our brain did not develop as fast as our technology. And our brain still need to sense the other people, to smell the other people, to feel the other uh, people. And, um, and I think that even in uh, 2050, um, I think that, uh, of course, technology is going to be, um, to be more developed than today. But um, I think we will stay basically the same. So that's a, that's a great uh, note to end with. The note of at least hoping that technology will be as humane uh, as possible and uh, ethical and without the impossible task, um, we'll finish. So uh, thank you, Liraz. It's been fascinating. I, I, we could have gone on and on, but uh, I think we... Uh, I think we hit the, the interesting parts and uh, maybe we'll, uh, we'll meet again in person. I would love that. <laughs> All right. Thanks for, for being with us. Thank you, Gil. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So thanks, everybody, for being with us. And until the next episode, uh, for all the people who listened and viewed us, thank you very much and see you soon. Goodbye. Goodbye.